Welcome back to the Snack Walls Podcast. I'm Mike Roberts, your host, and we're here to talk about increasing and maintaining diversity in tech beyond the perks. While companies think they can lure people in with unlimited PTO and dogs in the office, we're here to talk about how you keep them. I'm going to throw it over to our special guest for today. Can you tell us in a few sentences who you are and what is it that you do? Good morning, Mike. My name is Sarah Tuakli-Cooper, and I am the Executive Director at the League of Amazing Programmers, which is as fantastic as it sounds. It's um, a programming school for students from grades 5 through 12. So from the age of about 10, we take kids in and we're teaching them Java programming from scratch all the way through to the Oracle certification. That's pretty hardcore. And I am a big fan of the program. Um, I've known about it for some time. And so I'm super excited to have this conversation today. And I think you are just the right person to answer some of these questions that I have. So can we start with, uh, I'm hearing from some diversity folks, some leaders in tech that finding diverse talent is a challenge. What are your thoughts? Um, it's out there. Don't stop looking. And look at your own setup to really identify the problems, really identify what the challenges and barriers are to attracting the right people. Um, Think about changing some of the parameters. Don't necessarily use the old framework to try and create something new. Go down to basics and, you know, go and ask people how they got into tech, why they got into tech, what it was that um, enabled them to persist. Because, you know, the simple answer is always just don't be an asshole. But actually, there's a lot of nuance to collecting and retaining diverse talent. Yeah. And I think, to your point, that like, making sure you're creating that inclusive environment is one of the ways and like, and then letting people know and amplifying that message that we yeah. have an inclusive environment yeah. is a great strategy. Like not you, actually, being- you actually have to put it out there and be explicit mm-hmm. that that's what you're looking for. Um, I know it's a sensitive subject and it makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable, but actually, you know, just boldly stating we would love to have more X, more Y in our company because we recognize that that diversity is what's going to make us strong. Um, being being honest about what it is that you're a, hoping to achieve, right? Um, yeah. And I think that's been missing for a long time, but this year we seem to have maybe turned a corner and started to have some really honest conversations. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I feel like it takes a lot of vulnerability for a company to say, we are having some challenges and we need some help. And this is what we'd like to, where we'd like to be. And, you know, we're willing to, you know, I think sometimes people are, I don't know if it's just, just prideful or if they're afraid of like making a mistake. And so they're hesitate instead of just like, just fail forward. You're not yeah. going to do everything perfect, but at least start making the attempt and we'll see if we can you know, make a positive impact. So to, to that point, what do you think about the push to remove the requirement for CS degrees for some of these software engineering roles? Right. Well, 
for a start. I mean, I'm in San Diego and we're serving San Diego County. You know, we're not pushing out enough graduates with CS degrees anyway to fill all the roles that are coming. So we have to address that requirement to um, produce more programmers and more tech workers to even sustain the San Diego economy, right? Um, in terms of our teaching, we're looking at giving kids the tools to not necessarily have to go and do a four-year degree. They come out after the Oracle certification ready to enter the workforce um, if they've had the right internship experience or some kind of um, exposure to work. It's not necessarily important that they have a degree to enter the industry. Maybe they can pick one up along the way. But especially for kids who, you know, a four-year degree is a really big undertaking financially, um, economically for your family um, to take four years out of your life to study computer science. And I'm not saying it's not a valuable thing to have. It, it clearly is. But sure. it, it's not necessary to enter um, at a junior level. I 1,000% agree. It's not a prerequisite for success. Yeah. And I love the fact that you mentioned something I talk about a little bit when people ask like, what my opinion is about is the degree still valuable? I always say it's a, always a worthy endeavor if it's in the best interest of that individual, like they're going to be successful at it because sometimes people just aren't ready at that age to pursue a four-year Absolutely. degree. Yeah, And I know I wasn't, it took me 10 years to get my degree. So like I wasn't ready for just four years, let's get it done. And I knew exactly yeah. what I wanted. It's also not a binary choice, right? It's not, Absolutely. you have to do one or the other. You can definitely pursue one and then pursue the other. And the benefit might be if you had some experience as a software engineer, you might be able to afford to pay for a CS degree and not have to take out a loan, pay cash. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the, the whole, the whole um, economic structure of it, you know, worries me. It that in itself is exclusionary, um, but also just the development of the human being. Um, I'm thinking in particular of my son who. He didn't do, you know, he wasn't great at school. He wasn't an institution kid, um, but he got by and he got in, got far enough to enter an archaeology degree because he watched a lot of Indiana Jones and then discovered, like, in year three, oh, maybe this isn't what I want to do. I want to build things. So then he went off to learn how to build things. And four years later, then he's like, oh, I like engineering. Maybe I want to be an engineer. Um, you know, it effectively took him 10 years to become a uh, what he is now, which is a nuclear fusion engineer. Um, there's no way he would have known that at 18. Well, it's a big upgrade too from archaeologists to nuclear. So, <laughs> yeah. so just future work-wise. You know, it's a journey and <laughs> he had to discover different elements of it um, and there are different pathways to success. So I think the, the model that we've assumed and kind of it's become the myth in particularly I would say in America and in Britain where I'm from, the myth that without a four-year degree, your life isn't going to be successful. There are different pathways. Um, and actually most 18-year-olds that I know are not best placed to have a good vantage point of what their own pathway to success is going to be. Sure. They have a fairly small sample size at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so that said, and I know you're from the UK where this may be more popular, 
do you think here in the United States, an apprenticeship pattern would work for tech roles? I think it's a fantastic idea. I think that mastery of something requires such um, a kind of applied experience. You can theorize about things forever. Um, but for people to be learning on the job, in the role, from mentors and role models is a fantastic way to learn, to do something which is so practical. Um, you know, although we like to think of ourselves as nerds and all intellectually focused, there's a very practical set of skills you have to learn. And doing it on the job is an amazing way to do it. Yeah, building up that sample size of experience, right, alongside of a master that yes. can really share best practices and, and teach you the way that it works in production, which is very different than what you might be learning in a textbook. And that might be somewhat dated by the time that the curriculum can get approved and get, you know, right. accredited and all of those kinds of things, which I understand are just constraints that are built into that system. So I get it. So we talked a little bit about getting folks in and acquiring skill and talent. What do you think it takes? What is your advice for companies that are looking to retain diverse staff? Retention is key, obviously, to long-term success. And I think for the company, it's not enough to get a token person and stick them in charge of diversity and have them count how many black people do we have, how many women do we have. It's really important to actually dig deep into the cultural aspects of how the organization works, what it is that makes success for some people rather than other people, and whether or not that's applicable across the board. And to be able to move into a position in a role, I'm thinking of my own experience here as a black woman growing up um, working in, always in all male environments, all white environments, um, having to play the white man's game is exhausting, you know. Um, allowed to be me is a still a goal of mine, being allowed to be who I actually am. So opening up the culture to accept the different things that come with having diverse workforce, um, making sure that women know that they're appreciated for the other qualities that they bring, making sure that people from different income groups are appreciated for the extra knowledge they bring. You know, in the class, when I manage to get a diverse group of kids, I know that the people who are best being served by that diversity are actually the white males because they might not even have any friendships with people outside their own class, their own race, and their own playgroup, as it were. So being able to get into the sandbox and play with people from different experiences is beneficial to everybody. You know, we're going to build better tech if we include all of the population and everyone that looks different from us. Um, so retaining those people, I would say, is about allowing them to express their identity, allowing them to self-create um, and being open and willing to listen and not be intimidated because that's the thing. You've got this structure where you have 
um, the myth of infallibility, authoritarianism in an organisation where the rules get made at the top and are supposed to trickle down to everybody else. What I would suggest is that you take that and flip it and look at who the people actually are and give them a break. Don't make them code switch all day in order to feel happy in your workforce. I think it's, uh, and we've, we've had conversations in the past. Um, you know, I might, might share a little bit of one of those um pieces that I shared with you early on that I really admired your take and your approach when I when I talked to you at first about how I found out about League of Incredible Programmers. So I'll share just a little bit of that. And that is that this wonderful individual that I know, his name is Trey Hunter, he's a great software engineer, big Python guy, you know, big in the Python community, loves helping other people learn um, coding. I was talking to him one day and I was like, Trey, what are you up to? What are you doing? And he said, I'm volunteering for this great organization over in Del Mar. It's called the League of Incredible Programmers. And I was like, wait, Trey, you just included two words that don't make <laughs> a lot of sense to me. The first is volunteering. And the second is Del Mar. I guess that's three <laughs> words. And I'm just like, what are you doing with yourself? <laughs> like, yeah. what, is, what would possess you to make the decision to go volunteer in Del Mar? For those of right. you that are not in San Diego, it's a very fancy place. It's the and fancy so, place. It is the fancy place. Yeah. And so that's not the only location where League of Incredible Programmers have. I mean, they, they no. have a very accessible to the community location in downtown San Diego. And there's nothing wrong with teaching folks in Del Mar how to code. And you had a fantastic take on that. So could you share it with me? Because I want you to, to articulate the value proposition there. Because I think yeah. it's important. And I missed it initially because my brain was just stuck on Del Mar. Del Mar. <laughs> Well, this is true. It's true that you would be hard pushed to find someone that needs um, your support, your help, actually living in Delmar. But the way the league operates, we have satellite locations throughout San Diego, all the way down in Logan Heights Library up to San Marcos. So we're trying to go to where the people are. But we also have um, a passion to have people move around. So um, for example, last year we implemented um, a program with San Diego Unified School District where we bust groups of seven-year-olds, seven-year-old seventh graders up to um, up to Del Mar into we're, we're not only in Del Mar, we're in the Hacienda building, which is just this is like being in a spa, you know, <laughs> you feel like you've gone into a Black Mirror episode. Um, we want them to see that. We want them to a have aspirations. We don't want them to um, imagine that, have to imagine the world. We want them to go out and experience it. So we bring them up there and we give them, you know, a little bit of electrical engineering, a little bit of algorithmic thinking. We do lots of fun activities with them so that they are taken out of their immediate circumstance and they're not constricted by their situational experience to trying to imagine what a future with a job in tech could look like. Um, so we want to take them up to, you know, up to Sony and, and see what the campus is like, what it's like to work in one of those organizations. Um, also, the people who benefit the most from bringing other people into the picture are the existing hegemony, you know, the for my students who are living in very sheltered families with, you know, every all of their needs met, it's actually really 
important that they experience other people's perspectives and other people's points of view um, on everything from what's fun, you know, when they're building games together, it's great for them to have this back and forth between um, genders and classes and races. So I love bringing groups of people together that ordinarily wouldn't be able to mix. Very important. And I just think kudos for um, shaping that in my mind. And now we've been able to share that with everybody else because I'm often out in the community thinking, oh man, I'm in this, like in our campus, where our campus is in Southeast San Diego, it's very close to where San Diego State is. And it's unimaginable to me, but there are some students that have never walked on a college campus before and seen the impressive nature of San Diego State University, which is in their backyard. It's literally just right over this little hill and they have no idea exists or they live literally 15 minutes from the ocean and they've never seen a beach. And so I'm almost always focused on that, but I very rarely focus on, well, what these people that have all these amazing attributes and wonderful, rich lived experiences, even at early ages are not seeing and talking to folks in like North County and like Carlsbad. There's like no bridge there to get folks from uh, Southeast San Diego to Carlsbad to just a different community where they can interact with other people and have them have the same opportunity to, you know, just have fun and play and be playful as kids and learn that there's not as the variety of, of like, I guess not the paranoia that we have right now, right? Yes. The kids don't, they don't, hopefully they don't know about everything that's going on in the world right now. And so I just think it's an amazing opportunity that you've constructed with having these programs all over the city. So kudos to you on that. That Thank said, you. who is someone like yourself that you'd like to acknowledge as a leader and should be invited to be a guest on a podcast like this? Um, I, I've got a couple of heroes. One is Kimberly Bryant, obviously, um, Black Girls Code. Um, but I also wanted to think about you. I don't know if you've invited Will Reynolds, who is the founder of Seer Interactive. Oh, yeah. uh, he is very honest, authentic, open, fallible. He's, you know, become quite a thought leader, I think, in the marketing SEO world. Um and he's just, whether you're sitting down and having coffee or he's speaking to a thousand people, he's the same guy. And he's just so human that it's impossible not to like him. He'll make mistakes and he will immediately put his hands up and say, oh, crap, I did that. Let's all learn from it. Right. And that is how he's managed to build such an amazing organization is by going down to the human level and really being prepared to check what's really going on with his, with each and every one of his staff. So those are two phenomenal leaders. And I'll be honest, uh, Kimberly has been on my radar for a while. I have not been able to get her on the program. So now she's like real close on the radar. So uh, we definitely want to have her on the program. I'd love to hear her thoughts and um, have her talk more about what she's doing as well. So, and then, um, so both of them are on our radar. But like that's just like I'm gonna put it out there. So if Excellent. we made that happen, I would uh, that would thrill me to death. So where can we find out more information about the league? Um, go to jointheleague.org and click about. Nice. But also oh. 
you know, if people wanted to reach out to me directly, I would be very happy to take emails at sarah.cooper at jointheleague.org. All right. So I'll put those in the show notes as well. So it'll be super easy for people to connect. And so last question is the most important. Um, What have you been snacking on lately? What's your favorite snack? I've got a terrible confession that my favorite snack is a Starbucks chocolate fudge brownie. Ooh, It's rich and heavy. And I do try to cut it in half and only eat half at a time. I know the key word there was try. <laughs> yeah. It's not always easy. It depends on the day. No, but I think well-deserved. You deserve that snack. So I'm going to let you have that one. So thank you once again, uh, Sarah, for coming on and sharing all your wisdom and the incredible work that you're doing here in San Diego. It's been a lovely. Thank you. The San Diego Code School is a proud sponsor of the Snack Walls podcast. The San Diego Code School is leading companies to tech equity. The tech-enabled apprenticeship program is a venture whose heart is to do a lot of social good and do good work. You can help San Diego Code School secure funding for change by hiring developers, bringing a team in to relieve your backlog, or becoming a program sponsor. You can visit us on the web for more information at http colon forward slash forward slash sdcs dot